is recording. Um, my social media team going to be getting some content. I hope that's okay. Oh, that that's of course, of course. <laughs> Speaking of the social media team, I think we should start this episode by shouting out Ben, who is currently standing behind the camera taking photos of us. Uh, welcome to Prospero's Pit, so everybody. <laughs> so, giggle. so I'm here with, you know, honestly, like I was just thinking about this. Look at us. Look at us. Like yeah. how, who would have guessed that we would be, uh, in Kansas City, in the basement of Prosperos. <laughs> but uh, here we are. Uh, I'm joined with uh, a good friend of mine, Catherine Hoffman. Uh, on top of being a good friend of mine, she's an incredible filmmaker, um, super talented in all those regards, but also just been piling up the awards recently. <laughs> you want to run through... Uh, Oh gosh, sure. Um, What's been going on in your past in your life a couple past couple uh, weeks? Past couple of weeks. Yeah. Um. Well. Um. Gosh. So the past couple of weeks, Sundance. Yeah. Big one. Um. So I co-directed a documentary short with a local legend, Sharon Lee, who's an mm-hmm. excellent um, documentary filmmaker here in Kansas City. Uh, we mm-hmm. co-directed a little short called Parker. That had its premiere um, at Sundance recently, and it went super well. Audience was really receptive. Um, it was a crazy time, huge blur, met so many amazing people. Um, yeah, pretty surreal overall. Yeah, that uh, sounds like an incredible experience that I want to get into for like more, <laughs> and then the nitty gritty because it also looked really stressful. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. also, congratulations! <laughs> like you got there. Like that. That's. That's a huge, huge accomplishment. Um, but you are a local filmmaker here in Kansas City. Yeah. Uh, the way we met was we met at the University of Missouri. Uh-huh. Um, we both studied documentary journalism mm-hmm. um, under uh, fellow professors Stacey Wolfel, Robert Green. Yes. And I will gym. never forget our first day of classes of documentary. I don't know if you remember this, what Robert showed us. Was it his his little short film? His no, it, it was the very first day of classes, and I'm like so excited to get this like legendary education in documentary. And Robert Green sits us down and shows us a WWE wrestling match. Oh yeah, and it was like this is documentary. Yeah, and I was like, what the hell is going? On? Yeah, <laughs> the performance art. <laughs> it's performance which, art. <laughs> which looking back, it actually makes like complete sense, and I like mm. learned so much about like performance and documentary. But like starting off with that, I was like, oh my god, what did I? What's going on? Right. What did I get myself into? After well, yeah, I'm for curious. When did you decide to uh, pursue documentary journalism? Um, when I was in high school, I always knew that I wanted to do, uh, production. Mm-hmm. My parents owned a production company together when I was growing up. So I grew up, um, on set as their little, like, unpaid intern. Probably mm-hmm. broke some child labor laws in Texas, but I loved it. I loved growing up in that environment. Um, and I always knew I wanted to do something entertainment or production related. And then when I was in high school, I started to get really into history and social justice. And at that time, documentaries were kind of like, resurging as a popular art form um, through which people were exploring all of these things and so it was like a perfect convergence for me because I was like ultimately I just want to help people but I also really want to do production and I also can't pick one thing that I'm interested in because I'm obsessed with everything and just like a very curious person and so documentary felt like the perfect mm-hmm. convergence of all of those things for me and it was probably like 15 years old 16 maybe oh wow so yeah. did you then select the journalism school 
at Mizzou because of the documentary program? Um, partially. So I always wanted to go to Mizzou. It's a family school. Mm. Um, so my dad went to Mizzou. He played football there. My mom went to Stevens College next door. So they met in Columbia. Wow, hot off the presses. Yeah. Never knew <laughs> this. Knew that? I didn't know this. Yes. We are both um, legacy children then from yeah, Mizzou. Yeah. yeah. So my parents were probably there earlier than yours. Um, I'm like the very much the last child of theirs. Um, my parents are a little older, which I love. I learn a lot from them. But um, yeah, it's a family school. And then I also had a sister that went to Mizzou and she did like... <laughs> Okay, so that scared me. I thought it was from, the call was coming from inside yeah, the house. Cut that out. The street, <laughs> the street sounds from yeah. 39th sometimes come pouring in here, and uh, they they're not always kind. Yeah, no. <laughs> 39th gets a little crazy. We just had a train horn go off. Yeah, yeah, it's been a time. The last time I was here, we were sitting and eating ice cream, and then a guy walked by, just like like swinging around a baseball bat down the street. Mm-hmm. And like I'm not gonna get involved. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, 39th quirk. Yeah, 39th Street quirk. It is very quirky. Yeah. Um. But I forgot what I was talking about. Uh, that your legacy, um, that's why. Oh, you yeah. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to go there anyways. But then when I was in high school, I was like, okay, well, you can't just pick a school or a major based off of your family. So what do you actually want to do? And I was like, no, I actually do want to do journalism. Mm-hmm. So it was a very easy choice for me. <laughs> and did you find documentary like right out of, uh, right out of the gate? Yeah, because the documentary program was opening up um, – like the year my my senior year of mm-hmm. high school and so the dean of journalism i think was just like calling every prospective journalism school student to check in on them and at the personal touch or whatever and he was like oh you might be interested in our new documentary program and i was like sign me up yeah <laughs> so yeah it was pretty easy yeah wow that that sounds eerily similar to how i found the documentary program really yeah yeah it is i mean i went mizzou was always on the list at mm-hmm. least because of my parents uh, because my mom and um, so I took a tour there. Journalism. I'd been doing journalism in high school. Like that was like one of the few things that I'd stuck with, <laughs> like consistently. Mm-hmm. So I was really taking a look at the journalism school. And then they were like, "You should, if you're on the fence of what you want to do, you should look at the documentary program." Mm-hmm. And then that was that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I feel like that was sort of the that was a good. Um, a way to sum up all of our fellow classmates. It felt like it was like, yeah, we want to do yeah. journalism. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, what you're doing in journalism looks like it sucks. Is yeah. there anything else? Yeah, that I can is, do? is there any way I can like kind of feed like the artist in me yeah. while like not having my soul like sucked out of my body from this 24 <laughs> 7 24 hours cycle. Yeah, yeah seriously. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's, that's where I met you the first time. And I remember. Specifically, after you pitched, uh, just to run through what like the program does is basically the Mizzou has this thing called the Missouri Method, where they throw their students out in the fire into the fire and just basically are like, "You have a deadline. I need this by this time, and you're gonna get it somehow or some way, and you're gonna fall on your face a lot." Yes, learning by doing. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And um, part of the documentary program was making a documentary. Yep which was very much like the Missouri method, mm-hmm. which was, okay, we'll set some steps for you, but you're going to just at the end of the day have to do it. Yes. Really the only benchmarks were like you have to show us something um, on this day, this day, this day, like throughout mm-hmm. the semester. And it was just like 
you'll be publicly shamed and embarrassed in front of your classmates if you don't do it. And right. that's really the only <laughs> the only motivator that you have, which was pretty worth it. I think yeah. it worked pretty well. Because literally every single thing that we would turn in for these films was in front of our entire class. Yeah. And it was like, so do you have anything? No? <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Uh, but I do remember, like, I don't know exactly when in the pitching process. I remember it being fairly early. Uh, you, one of the assignments was to, like, just put all your ideas on paper and to pitch your, uh, your topic for your thesis film. And I remember you pitching your idea and me being, like, sounds like one of the best films in the class. (laughs) Sounds like, uh, like, like something and that I want to be a part of. And like right after the class, I went up to you and I was like, I, oh, yeah. I want to work with you on this yeah, film in yeah. whatever capacity you need me to do. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know how we got to uh, DP, uh, director of photography, but that's, I think you weren't crazy about shooting. Like you always were like, I don't really want to work the camera. I just want to direct. Yeah. Yeah. Which has kind of changed now, but I think I was looking to do as little as possible. Uh-huh. <laughs> on, on the production side because I was trying to like figure out the vision and what I even like wanted it to be um, but I remember being really like I don't know if I said yes right away to you but there was a lot of people that came up to me right after that class and said like I want to work on your film and mm-hmm. I was like <laughs> I was like running away because I was I was so protective of it because it was so personal and like mm-hmm. emotional to me and so I was more so looking for somebody who I like trusted, who was like a friend who I trusted emotionally because I knew that was going to be such a big part of the process, which was a big part of why mm-hmm. um, only two people, <laughs> only the two other classmates worked on it and you were one of them. So. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about that project and like what it was? Sure. Or is it? As long r- as everybody promises not to go find it and watch it. <laughs> well. <laughs> um. Which it not, I'm not saying that it looks bad or anything. It's just one of those things where, you know, like when you, it's it's just your first thing, you know? Yeah. Looking back at your first thing is so hard. Right. Um, it's uh, your first film. Yeah. yeah, your first film. And then also it starts with me crying and I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> go away. Um, but yeah, so the film is about the unsolved murder of my grandfather um, on my father's side in St. Louis. And so kind of long story short, um, there were... Gosh, actually, how do I even do this? Long story short, let me think. Cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be giving you editing notes, but I need to think. Um, so basically, my film was about the unsolved murder of my grandfather in the 1960s in the Nation of Islam. Um, kind of, you can kind of follow the story of the creation of the Nation of Islam and the split between Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad through my family and the violence that that split caused. Um, So yeah, long story short, it's about the murder of my grandfather um, and how that split my family in half for like 50 years and who was blamed for the murder and, you know, is he really to blame? So kind of letting a family member who is blamed for the murder tell his side of the story for the first time. Mm -hmm. An incredibly like personal and emotional project. And also... Um, incredibly, uh, an incredible, like, incredibly big project. Mm -hmm. Like, this was definitely, uh, something that was, like, you were swinging from everything. Like, this Mm -hmm. wasn't just, like, oh, yeah, I'll I'll just complete an assignment. Mm -hmm. This was, like, a very personal project. For sure. And I, I started it really a couple years earlier, starting to, um, 
document because things kind of started moving um, a couple years before that, but I didn't have really any of the journalism skills or film skills to really capture what was happening. I kind of just like used what, whatever was around me. So mm-hmm. my dad had went to, well, <laughs> yeah, which is very classic him if you knew my dad, but he picked me up from school, um, from Mizzou, and he was going to drive me back down to Texas. And um, he picks me up from my dorm and he was like, hey, we're stopping in Kansas City on the way because I'm going to go have my first conversation with my Uncle Awesome, um, who was blamed for my dad's father's death. And I was like, what? <laughs> I had like no warning. Um, and he was about to have like this monumental conversation with the man who was blamed for his father's death and they hadn't talked in 50 years. And so I was in an, an audio recording class at that time. So I had access to some audio equipment. And so I just like grabbed a microphone and tagged along and kind of just like shoved it in everybody's face and <laughs> tried to like uh, record the conversation. Um, and that ended up being a huge part of the film. And that's the only recording that we have of my uncle my great uncle getting to tell his side of the story so that ended up being really monumental not just for the film but also for my family to have um just as a whole Mm -hmm. yeah and and the way you said it with um like you just were kind of you didn't really know where to go so you just Mm kind of grabbed what you could Mm -hmm. um like oh that's filmmaking baby yeah (laughs) right right and I just well like uh, beyond that it's like creativity and like I think like at the end of the day you are creative and you're a creator and 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 to like hear like that that sounds really difficult um, but to also just I don't know that sounds like I f- I feel like that sounds familiar of mm-hmm. like not really knowing what you're using or how you're gonna use it or mm-hmm. the material you're gonna use but like desperately like wanting to archive mm-hmm. and just like kind of have this stuff because that's kind of like the thing about being a journalist is like in the moment you're so annoying like you're so like mic in your face like like I we need this conversation uh-huh. yada 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 and then like 15 down years down the road you're like thank god mm-hmm. that I was recording mm-hmm. um and had this moment mm-hmm. because it does turn it turns out to be the most important part of your film but also like beyond that mm-hmm. you know that's a important piece in just like your family history yeah. just to have that somewhere on a shelf mm-hmm. or in a basement or something wherever you're keeping that audio recording like for family down the line like mm-hmm. it's like really important um and just so happened to be a big part of your thesis film yeah and what you said is so true and it's like good for me to hear that even today because I feel like I'm so, I don't know, like my past few years in filmmaking, I'm so, I'm such a planner. Um, and because of my job and like the, the films that I do, there's just not, there's not as much room for spontaneity. And so I like, it's, I'm so glad that you reminded me of like that kind of spark or that moment when you're like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just like going to, I got to go record it. Mm-hmm. I have to go archive it somehow. Um, Cause I'm, I don't know, I, it's so, I plan so much, and I'm, like, so heavy in pre-production, which is so important, but then you also have to have room for that creativity and spontaneity, too, so mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> yeah, of course, I mean, I feel, I feel that, um, I feel like I can just hear it in your voice, like, the way you talk about this film, I feel very similar to my film, mm-hmm. um, and just, uh, like, it is hard to watch, but it's also, like, man, these are some of the best things, like, memories, like, this is just, like, some of the, like, just, like, a bet, like, one of the best things that I've ever made, like, because I put effort into it, because mm-hmm. I, like, went, and I, like, gave it, swung from the hips, like, did went, gave it my all, 
And so I kind of want to talk to you about that a little bit was like, what were your expectations about that project? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, and then after those expectations, like with a finished product and it being out there, um, like, what did that feel? Cause also we should talk about this. We are the class of 2020. Right. So I, I forgot, I forgot. COVID, to, yeah. 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 I forgot to mention this, that like we had all these expectations for our films to do things, be shown in specific places mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, none of that happened. Mm-hmm. All of it was canceled. 2020 COVID, our second half of senior year was canceled. And basically all of our films were just released into the void, mm-hmm. like online. We had an online, I think we had, everyone got like a 10 minute Zoom interview mm-hmm. or like Q&A mm-hmm. about their films. Mm-hmm. And then it was just like, like gone, yeah. like, and whatever. Like, and if you got into a few film festivals, like good for you. But uh, like, it was like the whole world was on fire. So yeah. it was kind of hard to be like, mm, my film, but. They were super personal projects. Yeah. Especially yours. Yeah. Well, honestly, I will say, so it was a huge disappointment not getting to have that in-person screening, but with the film being online and accessible in that way, way more people saw mine than ever would have been able, like, than, way more people saw my film than if it were to have screened, like, in person in Columbia, mm-hmm. um, and including Ava DuVernay, like that never would, she never would have right, seen that. that. Yeah, if it was in, the, in Columbia, Missouri, in the Missouri Theater, you yeah. know, during graduation. So, well, COVID did blow up all of our premiere plans. It kind of worked for a greater good for the premiere in mm-hmm. that in that way because things happened that never would have happened otherwise. So, mm-hmm. not that COVID was a good thing. Obviously, not what I'm saying. You right. can cut that out. But. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> You know what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, no. I do know what you're saying. And that's what I was like, wanted to ask you about. Like, obviously, you have expectations for a film. Like, your film is your child. Like, it is like something that you're piecing together and you're hoping to grow and you have like a vision for it. And I'm like curious to know going into that project, being it so ambitious, being so personal, like, what were the expectations? It's a good question. I don't know if I had any expectations, honestly, which is like, on. I think that's a maybe a defense mechanism of mine. I don't know exactly like why I am that way, but I don't go into a lot of things like with a lot of expectations. Honestly, I'm kind of like I have hopes for sure. And I know that I'm going to like work my ass off in every situation, but I don't go in with like a lot of expectations of what things are going to be um, with my film. I think. I was, one, it was going to be hard, Mm. (laughs) and I was um, expecting to definitely find things out that I didn't know, but I don't think I could have (laughs) ever expected, like, what happened during the film, like, that day when we were shooting outside of the mosque, Mm -hmm. and then my second or third cousin, like, (laughs) okay, well, let me tell the story from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Danny and I go to St. Louis, we road trip, um... I specifically remember being very hungover that day. Yes, and it was, and it was really early in the morning yeah. <laughs> when we were driving your Fiat <laughs> down I-70 towards St. Louis. Yes, and I had to pull over on I-70 and say, Danny, you have to drive because I think I'm going to pass away right now and I, <laughs> I can't drive this car. <laughs> Anyways, 
So we're in St. Louis and we're shooting and we're filming outside of my family's mosque from the 60s, like getting some exterior shots. Um, and we pull up outside of the mosque. First thing I see is a Walgreens getting robbed next door. And I was like, Danny, get back in the car. Like, don't look over there. That's not our business. <laughs> I don't remember that. Yes, because I was like, oh, my God, I think those guys are robbing that Walgreens. And you start looking up and you're like, oh, they're what? Robbing the... And I was like, Danny, look away. Like, <laughs> don't get him. That's not your business. Well, I do remember driving into St. Louis behind the wheel of this Fiat and being like, um, someone who's never been to St. Louis before in his life being like, what? What part of St. Louis are we going to? And <laughs> you being like, don't worry about don't it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's my family neighborhood. Uh, exactly. yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we're filming outside of the mosque. And I didn't know that anybody, I didn't know it was like still an active mosque in, in any way. Mm-hmm. And so we're on the other side of the street getting exterior shots. And then all of a sudden, this guy, like this, like, <laughs> like this, like Black Panthers, like slick back hair, full length like black leather trench coat like this mm-hmm. beefy guy dark he, sunglasses silver shades yeah, they dude. were silver <laughs> i remember that and he comes like storming across the street and we were like you were setting up the tripod or something you didn't see him at first and i was like uh cat i think this guy's walking towards us yes and so he comes like storming across the street like what are you doing what are you doing here and when i was like oh i'm so sorry we're just filming and it's this is my family's mosque and he was like this is your family's mosque and i was like yeah and he was like who's your family and i told him and he was like that's my dad i was like what the hell um so that was like a crazy all that to say is i never could have expected literally any part of the entire process um i definitely think it brought my dad and i closer to some in like in some ways um and then also just even to like i don't know figuring out things about my grandfather like that was also a super unexpected process like when I went to the city of St. Louis um, to try to pull his like criminal file, it took them like well over an hour to collect it all, and then most of it was redacted. Mm-hmm. And the records, like the records request woman, came out from the back, and she just gave me this look, and she was like, "I don't know who this is, but you need to be careful." And I was like, "Oh, it's just my grandpa." Like. <laughs> Was um, I there? I remember we stopped at the police station. No, I was alone there. I remember because I was mm. waiting alone for so long. And there was this, and I'm sorry, I'm going on such a tangent now. Mm. Um, but I was waiting in the records department for so long. And there was a woman um, that was sitting next to me. And we kind of got to talking. And she asked what I was doing there. <clears throat> and I told her that I was trying to get records on my grandfather's unsolved murder. And she said that she was also there trying to get records on, I think, her daughter's unsolved murder. And so that was kind of like this crazy, like, yeah. I don't know, this crazy, fast, emotional connection. And she, like, kind of held my hand and was like, you know, I understand what you're going through and, like, I really wish you the best and I hope that you figure it out. And I was like, gosh, you too. And then she got her records and walked away and I have never seen her again, but I definitely think about her sometimes. Wow. Um, that might have been an angel, honestly. Yeah, it was It was really crazy. Um, it's just one of those, I don't know, one of those things. But all of that to say is I didn't have many expectations, but even if I did, they would have been blown, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. blown out of the water by um, what the actual process and investigation was like. Mm-hmm. But... Anyways, what about you? What about Tacopa? 
Nope. <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> Not my interview. <laughs> no, I mean, I made a film too. Yeah. Uh, um, well, as well as shooting cats, I was making my own film. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk about that some other episode. <laughs> Not when I have you here because time is precious and I want to talk about you. And um, I want to talk about that like kind of undying like that feeling interest like from the get-go that you wanted to be in the social justice um fight uh where did that come from where does that start where did that start to like bloom when did that seed get, seed get planted um hmm. i mean my family's always been very open for sure i mean like you know like any other black kid like i got to talk you know when i was a kid and um my parents never hid anything from me, um, even to, like, you know, international news. Like, my parents both had just always been news junkies, and so being, like, socially and politically aware was kind of just, like, the water that I was swimming in as a kid. I didn't really know anything different, but um, I would say it really kind of took hold personally when I was in high school, um, taking, I don't know, when I was a teenager, well, Okay, I will say I've always had a very strong sense of justice, whether that be, like, you know, games on the playground or, like, you know, actual social justice. Like, I'm, like, I don't know. I'm not afraid of conflict, and I've always, you know, things being... Equality has always been very important to me, but um, in a social justice sense, I would definitely say high school. I was taking this American Studies literature class, and um, I had really, really, really great teachers that really opened my eyes to a lot of injustices in history that I didn't know about before um, and just like gave greater context to kind of the conversations that I would have with my parents about you know the way that the world is and the way that you know the country saw us and um, I don't know it's hard to say like a specific moment or a specific reason because it was just one of those things where like I can't not you know it's just like I guess I don't really see it as social justice it's kind of just like Hmm. preservation i guess so i don't really know like another way <laughs> to be but yeah mm. yeah i mean that's a great answer i didn't i didn't think of it uh from that perspective um we, for some reason it kind of popped up to my head while you were talking about that was that not only did we graduate into 2020 which was covid19 but that was also during the murder of george floyd brianna mm-hmm. taylor um which was madness in the united states as but like specifically on college campuses it was very um intense Mm -hmm. where it was like a lot of finger pointing there was a lot of um like people like coming to people who had no say in it and like asking for advice or whatever and i'm curious if you wanted to talk a little bit about that experience because you saying like preservation and stuff like that it made me think about like how many I feel like during that time at Mizzou especially it was like all of a sudden it was like everyone go find your black friends and talk to them and mm-hmm. talk to them about like this stuff that's yeah. happening and I was wondering if you wanted to talk a little <laughs> bit about that because I feel like it's like yeah. justice might be in your blood but it's also sometimes feel might be taken advantage of of like can you give me a few pointers <laughs> yeah uh what a crazy time i kind of like emotionally shut down in terms of like being of any service to 
uh, white people that like wanted something from me, I was like, go somewhere else. Like I, <laughs> I simply cannot. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the patience. Like whatever like emotional labor you're looking for from me, like you're just not gonna get it. So I mean, I got my phone was blowing up all the time all summer 2020 of people who I like honestly like loose acquaintances who were like hey like if you ever want to talk or just like you know process this stuff I'm here and I'm like why would I I don't even know you like we've never talked about race or anything past like a surface level like hey how are you like what makes you think that I'm gonna like call you up to process my racial trauma like Mm -hmm. I don't know um it was a crazy time and honestly like during the summer of 2020 I I mean like I did protest and it seemed like there might be movement but I was never overly optimistic about things actually changing just because there was people in my life who in previous years I had tried to get involved in like justice and like anti-black literature and like um I don't know get them to kind of get outside their worldview and they they just never were interested and then now all of a sudden in 2022 when it was cool to you know care about black lives and they were getting all involved and that was like I just don't know how sustainable that is. Um, And so, I mean, I think now that, and we've now seen that, you know, people have a short attention span and a short memory. And like, you know, my life has not improved (laughs) in Mm -hmm. any way since really the summer of 2020. But, you know, the text stopped, the phone calls stopped, the Venmo stopped, the book club stopped. Um, You know, people kind of just forgot about it. So uh yeah summer 2020 was a rough (laughs) was Mm -hmm. a rough time uh overall and it's frustrating to see you know people kind of lose that energy um that they had so quickly Mm -hmm. and that that like brings us back to like what that phrase like social justice warrior i think comes with like this connotation that you're choosing to be like a social justice warrior Mm -hmm. whereas you a black woman don't really have that choice like that is either you fight or you die like sort of situation and then on top of that i feel like you have natural leadership uh just qualities about you do you feel like a pressure um to like lead people to like a like like you were saying like to black literature, to things like that would maybe spur on some movement? Um, That's an interesting question. Uh, No, I would say. Maybe, like, maybe years ago I would have felt, like, more of a pressure, like, I don't know, before, before these conversations were, like, so common, I maybe felt, like, a little panicked. Like, I was, like, learning all of these things, like, taking in all this information and, like, um, feeling like I needed to bring everybody along with me. But as I matured, I'm like, that's, I don't know. Some people have the energy to do that. Um, I'm at a place in my life right now where I don't, and I don't feel bad about that. Um, so no, I don't, but I, I, I definitely, I get why you asked that. And I would say at some point in my life, I did. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I love hearing that you don't feel that anymore <laughs> because uh, that sounds way too heavy to be like carrying around. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
let's get into some good stuff because <laughs> I feel like that was, went like a crazy turn because you've been killing it. You said uh, that yeah. uh, nothing in your life has changed since like summer of 2020. And I know what you meant by that. But in other regards, I would say your life has changed really like nicely. It's like really been coming <laughs> along. I feel like every other day I like go on Insta or whatever it is and I see like, oh, uh, Kat has won an Emmy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It's on, Honestly, it's my husband, Ben, that makes me post about it because if it was up to me, I would not like, <laughs> I would not say anything. I would not post because I never know like what to do about it. He's like, you have to say something. And I'm like, okay, but, uh, well, <laughs> but thank you. Yeah. <laughs> congratulations because that's huge. Thanks. Do you, uh, you want to talk about that? Like what that was like, what the experience, what the project it was and all that? Yeah, it was crazy. So the first Emmy... Um, so it's a, it's a regional Emmy. So the first one was for a video that I did about the history of midwives, like um, it specifically like in relations to the racial history of midwives. Um, I, it's honestly, it's interesting looking back on it because I think I made a lot of mistakes with that piece. It was literally the very first video that I did mm-hmm. at Kansas City PBS and it ended up getting nominated for an Emmy and it was up against this video from like this full on production house. And so Honestly, the night of the award ceremony, I was just like drinking, having a good time. Like, like I think when they announced that I uh-huh. won, I was literally like mid bite of cake because I completely uh-huh. let go of like any idea that I was gonna win. So I was like very pleasantly surprised. Um, that was really crazy, um, but it was really really cool, and I felt really proud of myself because um, I almost didn't go into media and like journalism and film after graduating because i was like really i didn't know that yeah i really i almost went into teach for america instead um, because there was a recruiter calling me and i've always wanted to teach and i felt like i wasn't qualified to do film Mm -hmm. and so i was like kind of trying to find like an out or like another avenue to give myself more time but then Mm -hmm. i ended up you know taking the leap and doing it so it felt like a positive affirmation that like this is actually something that i can do Mm -hmm. um and in the there's been some nominations in between, but the second one that I won was this year um, for a video package that we did for a show. It's a monthly show that I produce. Um, now it's called Flatland and Focus. With um, so I'm a producer reporter um, with a really really incredible team of folks, and we did a video package on being houseless in Kansas City. Um, and so that one was really a culmination of all of the reporting that we've done on housing and the houseless community in Kansas City over the past couple years because mm-hmm. we've really, I think, embedded ourselves with that community in a lot of ways, um, spent a lot of time um, at camps and hotels and with social workers um, and talking to the mayor. And so that video package was bringing together um, the people who are experiencing the issue and then the people with the power to change the issue and literally bringing them to a, t- like a table together and like having them talk. Um, so that was a really powerful moment. So that was the second one. Wow. Um, Sorry, I quick, feel like I've been talking forever. No, no, real quick, <laughs> uh, real quick, real quick. Uh, you work at Kansas City PBS yeah. Flatland. Yeah. Um, and mostly, what do they have you doing? Um, mostly video journalism. Mostly so, video journalism. Yeah, like kind of medium form mm-hmm. video journalism. Any, anywhere from like three minutes to 30 minutes. Right. So you can find your stuff there. Yes. But like to get back into that, what was that? So what was your role in that? Were you facilitating that uh, sit down, getting everybody at the table? Yeah. Um. So it's me and then... 39th Quirk. Yeah. Uh, it really sounds like they are like inside of Prospero's. Like, yeah. Having a party upstairs. That glasses then. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, so it's me and two other reporters who are Vicky Diaz Camacho and um, Cody Boston, and then our host, Rashawn, D. Rashawn Gilmore. They're all amazing, 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 talented folks. So it's me, Vicky, and Cody, and then we did all of the reporting. Um, Cody and I do all the video work, um, and then Vicky also does an amazing job with sourcing and reporting. Um, and then we all find folks to physically like bring them to the table together. Um, and then Rashawn is the host of the show. And so we have a 10, 15 minute, uh, kind of short documentary lead in package. And then a like 10, like a 15 to 20 minute, um, round table conversation with folks from the video package. Um, and so Rashawn is the host of that. And so he hosts like a round table discussion. I think that episode it was with, um, like two social workers and then one guy from Lotus Care House who was experiencing homelessness and then um, the city manager, Brian Platt. And so they had a conversation together about um, what they see as solutions and like where the city is failing and like the emotional aspect of being unhoused, which is something that a lot of people, um, you know, sometimes don't do a great job of touching on. And so to hear it from somebody who's experiencing it was really, really powerful Mm -hmm. um, in that moment. Did you think, do you think that, um, do you think that had an effect on the people who are making decisions, like this conversation? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I think the city of Kansas City does does meet um, with folks that are experiencing um, houselessness, for sure. Like, there's a lot of different task force where they bring people experiencing the issue to the table. But I think even just communicating to a larger audience how difficult it is I definitely think has an impact because a lot of people you know they see the encampments in Kansas City and you know if you ever see somebody that's experiencing homelessness um, you know sitting on the side of the road a lot of people have just so many assumptions about what they're like and what their work ethic is like and you know what their character must be like and so to hear somebody talk about their experience like having three jobs and still not being able to afford an apartment in Kansas City or um, you know how difficult it is to get out of a cycle of drug abuse or how you know so many shelters have rules about you know basically having to get so much of your life together before you can even enter the shelter when it's proven that getting somebody housed first is the best way to get them off of the streets and that's not a model that all of our shelters follow um, or just the, the emotional aspect of um, you know trying to tell yourself every day that you have any worth as a person when so many people won't even make eye contact with you. I think hearing those kind of stories um, have an impact on anybody, and I'm especially glad that the people who have the power to do something about it can hear those aspects of being unhoused in Kansas City. Hmm. Do you think that through the medium of filmmaking, do you think that's like the best medium to communicate that through? Um, good question. I don't know if it's the best one, but it's definitely my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) I love that answer. Um, yeah, I think, well, there's just something so powerful about, like, seeing somebody in their own element, in their own space. Um, I don't know. I think it's it's such a beautiful, intimate medium Mm -hmm. that, yeah, I really love it. (laughs) I couldn't help but think, while you're talking about that, that then you are covering this very heavy topic. Mm Mm-hmm. Almost 24-7. I know. I was going to say, sorry this keeps taking these heavy turns, but it's just like what I'm like enmeshed in. I wish I was making like fun videos all the time. (laughs) (laughs) That's honestly the most beautiful part about it is like if you were to meet Catherine Hoffman here and like just talk to her and bump into her on the street, you wouldn't get 
this vibe like you wouldn't un, like you wouldn't pick up on any of this like you're so you're so so much light and like so like bubbly and just like you wouldn't keep pick it up you wouldn't know unless you like actually knew you and so i don't know it's like now that i've like cornered you with my microphone and headphones i'm like all right time for the hard questions what so, does homelessness make you feel like well, it's funny you say that because i feel like so many people have an inaccurate perception of like who i am as a person because they see my stories or my work or they see me like on pbs like talking about these really serious things or they see my twitter where i'm talking about these really serious stories and i'm like i don't know how to tell people that like <laughs> i'm fun to be around too like i like to... <laughs> i like, like jokes I, too yeah. <laughs> i know like if you talk to me in person like i'll smile and we can have a good time um, but it's really funny that you say that because i <laughs> i always get in my head i'm like gosh do people think that i'm like that's just the most like serious solemn like <laughs> no i don't <laughs> it's funny like, to me <laughs> I think, like, if you, like, took a big picture of it, like, you're, like, the perfect person to, like, throw in, like, not, like, that sounds bad, but it's, like, you're, like, well, here's such a lovely human being. I think she should be the one who, like, communicates catastrophe to the public, you know? It's, like. Thank you. As long as you think I'm equipped, I'll stay at it. You make it look effortless. Um, But, yeah, so, so, on top of that. You also have this new show that just came out. Yeah, Preserving Our Past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the second installment of a yearly series I've been doing on Kansas City PBS. So I do a ton of black history stories here. Um, at first, it was totally of my own volition that I wanted to do black history stories because I also have a degree in black history, um, and it's a big passion of mine. I also have a degree in French. Never used it a day in my life. <laughs> Anyways, um, so yeah, black history is, is such a huge passion of mine. And so at first, I was doing a lot of black history stories because I saw it being undercovered, and it's something I was so interested in. And then after a while, I guess I started getting a reputation as somebody who does black history stories. And so my inbox is literally just full of email after email of people telling me like the most amazing story I've ever heard or just asking me to like come by and like look at pictures that they have or I mean, just so many. And so I still do them because I want to do them. But um, now it's more of like a an obligation, but an obligation in a good way. I'm so glad that people trust me with these stories. Um, But yeah, we were thinking like, okay, I have all of these black history stories like kind of what what do we do with them so um, we came up with preserving our past and so it's a yearly black history special that I do in February where I pull together all of the short black history videos that I've done throughout the year Um, and then I host in between to kind of give people my personal connection to things or like you know those little nuggets or like those little magic moments that happen behind the scenes when you're reporting on a story but you can't fit into it um and so, yeah, I really loved, um, I don't know, I really love doing that. And I love showing people, like, my heart for black history and hoping that it rubs off a little bit on them. Um, and just, I don't know, showing folks, like, how the past still, influence us, still influences us every single day. Because it's so easy to think about history as just, like, words and pictures on pages and not you know, real things that happen to real people who are just like us and that still has ripple effects to us every single day. So I'm super passionate about history. Um, So yeah, I love doing Preserving Our Past. (laughs) Wow, that honestly, I'm very excited. It sounds like it shouldn't be yearly sounds. I'm like, that sounds like monthly (laughs) or weekly maybe even. Yeah. Um, But uh well like how do you feel about that that's that's a lot like that you're also stepping into this like broadcast role now too um, yeah it, i mean the documentary program it feels like we're all it, it's like we're all like multimedia just like 
artists, <laughs> yeah. I would, would say journalists, but it's like a, the documentary feels like the emphasis is like, on we the, can do the, the journal. Yeah, 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 like a creative like spin on it. Mm-hmm. But like, what? How do you feel? Like, what? What? What's? What's your energy going into this show? Yeah, I love it. It is a little bit overwhelming because I do everything. So I mean, like most of the videos are already done going into it. But I mean, even those videos, like I've produced them. I do all of the shooting, all of the editing, like the lighting, the interview, the sound. Like I do the entire thing from end to end, um, and then bringing them all together. It's you know coming up with like. You know, what's the narrative thread that's tying all of these together? It's writing the script, it's designing the set, um, it's editing the script, and then it's like, you know, hosting broadcast or digital style. So it can be a lot, but it's a really fun challenge too. Um, I like knowing how to do a little bit of everything. Um, and I mean, that's the good part about working for, you know, nonprofit news is you have to wear many hats. And so <laughs> sometimes I'm like, wow, it would be really nice to have an editor for this. Or it would be really nice to have a producer for this. But I mean, I'm getting a lot of experience doing a little bit of everything. But I'm also looking forward to later in my career when I'm able to specialize a little more because I feel like right now I don't know what I actually like like to do because I have mm-hmm. to do everything. And so right. I don't know um, what I want my role to really be amongst all those roles that I've been playing and then also I'm looking forward to later on when I have more time and more resources and like a team around me of figuring out really what my visual style is what my language is um because you know broadcast and things like that and digital news and media like have like a certain look and a certain cadence and you know a certain style that you want to stick to and I do have room to play around but not you know really go sideways and so I'm looking forward to kind of figuring out um you know who I am in that style so Mm -hmm. yeah one I want to say is it's gonna pay off (laughs) knowing like all the everything like it's just at some point it's like all gonna click and then it's some like big uh I imagine like a giant ball of light will appear and it's just slowly f- yeah, fulfill <laughs> the universe. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I do like, it does sound familiar, even though like you're more in the like uh, professional game where like I'm doing freelance stuff and what I could fill in here and there. And you uh, are more in um, the nine to five grind. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. It does sound familiar that like, journalism is kind of becoming this like or at least I feel it in a way that like as like a documentary filmmaker like everything that I have like fits in my backpack Mm -hmm. and like I can move around and I can like get uh video I can get audio I can take photos I can like do this I can edit all this and this and that and Mm -hmm. that uh do you see like maybe that like perhaps that might be the future of journalism is that we start to scale down to individuals who can do all of this. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think that's now (laughs) the future is kind of here. Like when you look at job descriptions for journalists these days, they want you to be able to do everything. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is because of funding and cutbacks and they don't want to hire you know, a separate photojournalist and a separate writer and a separate video journalist anymore. Like they want everybody to be able to do literally everything, which I do not agree with. Mm -hmm. I think collaboration is where the beauty happens. Um, And so I wish that there was, you know, still funding poured into these things, but no, you're, you're totally right. Yeah. I think that's really the future of journalism Mm -hmm. is 
I mean, hopefully it's more than an army of freelancers. And mm. <laughs> But, um, yeah, that's definitely where it's headed more and more, I think. Do you, I guess, do you see, like, a collaboration with community? Like, because it is, mm-hmm. like, cut back so much. Mm-hmm. We, we are seeing, like, a scale back of, like, it's the New York Times or the Washington Post or bust, like, at, like, this point, And you start to see, do you think that maybe there could be like a space for those like obviously the whole thing is newspapers are dead local newspapers are dead no <laughs> yes <laughs> we're still here <laughs> yeah where do you see like yeah. do you think like i mean here we are like doing multimedia journalism in the basement of a local business mm-hmm. um do you think like in i'm asking this as someone who is actively exploring like what does it look like to have a community space that is community owned Mm -hmm. that is also a community journalistic like you know watchdog what we've studied uh is just a outlet Mm -hmm. um do you could i don't know what i'm even asking at this point no i know i hear what you're saying i actually think that kansas city does an amazing job of that like Mm -hmm. better than other places like the community journalism in Kansas City I honestly think is fantastic um, and this is where I give my report for America Spiel so I actually work through I work for Kansas City PBS through an organization called Report for America it's like Teach for America but for local reporters and so it's this program that you apply to and then they place you at a um, usually a small local publication that maybe doesn't have the funding to have another reporter to cover like some undercover topic that needs to be reported on so i'm actually here through report for america and they are really doing a lot of work to really bolster and bring back local journalism because it is so 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 important and i actually think kansas city um does an amazing job of community journalism all of the nonprofit newsrooms in kansas city almost all of them um so us included um we're a part of the kansas city media collective and so it's um you know local nonprofit. M- community-funded media coming together to do stronger work together to service the greater Kansas City community. And so you have, um, you know, Flatland, you have Startland, um, which is a business publication, um, you have KCUR, um, and a couple others. And so we really work together to bring more community journalism to Kansas City. Um, we have a thing at Flatland called Curious KC. So it's a community journalism program where Kansas Cityans actually submit questions that they have and then other Kansas Cityans vote on those questions. And then as reporters, we report on the question that wins the voting rounds. And so it's instead of us telling you what's important to know, you tell us what you actually want to know and then we'll go find the answer and tell it. So, um, yeah, I think Kansas City actually does a pretty good job. I mean, we can always do better, of course, I mean, if you're listening to this and you have something that you think a reporter should be paying attention to, like, obviously, you know, please email me and DM me. Um, I really welcome it. But, um, yeah, print, you know, local journalism is we're working. Mm-hmm. We're out here working. So We're, we're, we're still alive. You <laughs> yeah. know, there's a heartbeat there. Wow. You just unloaded some really top notch <laughs> information right there. So, yeah. like, I'm very excited to, like, go back and actually because 
I caught some of that, but <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that was like my that's my whole like local reporter spiel that I that was awesome. I was off. like, wow, Kansas City is the best. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't really repeat everything you said back to me, but I feel fired up right okay. now. That's all that matters. That's right. all that matters. Right. Um, okay. Before we wrap up here, I do want to come back to one thing, which and I don't want to bring it down too far again, but you said something that caught my ear that. Um, I didn't know, but that you said that you uh, weren't thinking that filmmaking, that this space was for you mm-hmm. um, coming out of college. And I want to talk, I just want to know what, like, if you want to go more into detail of, like, where your head space was at that time. Because I feel like a lot of people felt felt that in their mediums mm-hmm. of whatever art they were working at, especially in 2020, where it was like, I don't think this is actually for me. Mm-hmm. And now I'm looking at you just came the week off Sundance Emmy in your back pocket like talk to us like I want to like hear like what you got to say about believing in yourself gosh yeah I I have lots of words on that um I'll try not to talk your ear off but yeah I I was so I think I had a lot of imposter syndrome film is such a weird space where it seems like everybody knows what they're doing and everyone's a genius and everyone has oh, just the best idea that you've never heard of or you know oh you don't know who this director is like what are you even doing or oh I'm such a cinephile or whatever it's just such a weird space where it's just like I don't know it feels like you have to be a certain way or look a certain way or have certain interests in order to succeed and I just didn't see myself like having any of those things like I wasn't like a master cinematographer, I wasn't a master editor, I wasn't, you know, a white dude cinephile, like, I just didn't feel like there was a space for me and my voice and what I wanted to explore, um, and so I, you know, took the leap anyways and went into video journalism, so not, not quite documentary, but video journalism, and I just worked my butt off and just practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and just through repetition, Um, and making mistakes and getting back up and learning and forcing my voice to be a part of the conversation. Um, I don't know, I started to gain a lot more confidence. Uh, And I think overall, and I'm not like, I don't want to come off like I think I'm any kind of expert, like I still have so much to learn. Um, But I think what's kind of caused me to like keep going and keep pushing is... um, knowing and somebody else somebody else said this to me I didn't come up with that but I was asking another black woman in film when I was a student like you know how do you find like the confidence to keep going in this field that feels like it wasn't made for you and she told me like never forget that they need something that you have like this industry needs something that you have and you're the only person that has your voice that can give it to them and I was like ooh, that's good and so that's kind of like a motto for me when it feels like I'm not welcome in a space or I'm not good enough to be there or I don't fit a certain type then like okay they need something that I have like I have my own voice I have my own view on things and that's something they don't have and so I have value in this situation and even if somebody thinks that I don't I know that I do and so I'm going to make myself be a part of this conversation and work my butt off to continue to be at this table essentially so I don't know. Film is a weird <laughs> is a weird space and um but it can be really beautiful and collaborative and um I don't know, just help make help make space for um different voices that deserve to be heard and I love to be a part of that. So 
That's my word vomit. <laughs> I'll tell you right now that I'm so happy you worked your butt off because <laughs> holy crap, like the filmmaker that you are now, the filmmaker that you are going to become, like it's just so so exciting to watch as your friend and Thank cheer you, you on. I appreciate like, it. it. Really, it really is awesome. So, Catherine Hoffman, everybody, I'll throw up her socials and whatever uh, you need to find her. But thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>